And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, And he entered into the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is God's word, and thanks be to him for his word. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your help once again on your first day of the week with our Bibles open. We need your help to understand and obey. Lord, would you speak through this word, this word we've been singing about, and its importance, its foundation, its pricelessness. Lord, would you give us the ability to pay attention and to think, and Lord, to be persuaded and reason ourselves these things that we just read. And we ask these in your precious name. Amen. Well, here's an outline that will serve actually for uh, today, this morning, and parts of next week as well. With chapter 19, you kind of look at the first 20 verses and then the second 20 verses or so. And we'll cover this morning these first two points. First, about 12 almost Christians are saved because we're thinking they were close, but not all the way there till they received the Holy Spirit. We just read. Secondly, about two years of teaching reaches everyone. And explore that sentence that sounds too good to be true. Everyone in Asia heard the sound of the gospel of Jesus. And then for next week... This, this is not today. Extraordinary miracles, botched exorcisms, and book-burning bonfires are enough to produce fear in the name of Jesus. Now, that's where all the adventure is. But you get none of that today. You wait till next week to learn about the seven sons of Sceva and demons who knew about Paul but no, nothing about these fellows who were trying to cast them out. It's quite an episode That's for next week. What we look at today has everything to do with faithfulness and teaching and watching the the God of the gospel bring people to faith. He's going to be actually watering what Apollos might have planted, and then God's going to bring the increase. So if we look at verse 1 of 19, we just started there. About 12 almost Christians are saved, the first seven verses. In keeping with his promise to return, and that's where we left uh, last week in in chapter 18, Paul on his third missionary journey was was just 
making all kinds of circles on the map. If you remember, you know, when Indiana Jones would show the map and they got the airplane going around. I wish they had one with Paul's missionary journeys and where he would go. But he stopped in Ephesus already. They wanted him to stay. He declined and said, if the Lord wills, I'll be back. Well, this shows us the Lord wills because he's on his way back. Luke tells us when he got there, he found some disciples and their discussion is summarized in at least two questions and two answers. And that's what we read right out of the gate. Here they are. Question one, if you want to look at it again, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Answer one, no, we've not seen or even have heard of that there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, Not the answer you want to hear. Question two, into what then were you baptized? Answer two, into John's baptism, which is not dissimilar to what we heard with Apollos when we studied about that last week. So we need to try to understand what's going on here. And at the outset, I'll go ahead and give you a disclaimer. This is a troublesome passage. It is difficult to interpret at best. It is dissentiously scandalous for some at worst. There are churches or denominations that split over what this passage means. We're going to take the simple approach, main and plain. And if we can't find something main and plain, we're going to say we don't understand it and keep going. (laughs) I think that's the best course of action. It's okay for a pastor to say, I don't know what this means. Because it's okay for a congregation to say, I don't know what this means. Because every now and then you come across a professor who says, I don't know what this means. The only person that never says, I don't know what this means, is a handful of mortals and Jesus Christ. He always knows what it means, and his Father and the Holy Spirit. We don't have perfect knowledge, and we've got, what, millennia between us and them and an entire culture on top of that. So we're going to do our best, but don't go home and say that I solved this riddle. If it gets solved, it's the Holy Spirit's doing, not the voice of a man. So Paul begins to talk to these disciples. That's what they claim to be. But most likely somewhere in in Luke's summarization, Paul identifies that something's off. And it likely has to do with his perception of a less than adequate understanding of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is where he begins and starts asking these leading questions. The answer to their first question reveals the problem. The problem was they didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And we know from theology that no Holy Spirit, no salvation. There's no such thing as someone who's saved who's not indwelt with by the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a brief interlude in the book of Acts where it seems that God is withholding certain things in order to produce certain signs to give confirmation to others that might doubt that we're all on the same page and we all have the same gospel. We'll come back to that in a moment. But their answer to the second question reveals the reason for that problem. How could it be that they don't know about the Holy Spirit? It's because they were baptized into John's baptism. They were taught by John, same as Apollos was. And remember, John the Baptist was beheaded before Jesus got into his mission, into the, the important part, the last stages of his ministry on earth. So... When Jesus is talking about the comforter who will come in my place, I've got to go so he can come. 
John wouldn't have known any of that. John was not here anymore. So any of his disciples wouldn't have known that from John. Again, we'll come back to that in just a second. But to ask the question, what happens next? Because even though John did talk about the Holy Spirit, and the Old Testament talks about the Holy Spirit, so they should have a concept about it, the exact concept is off. What does Paul do? Well, he's not going to let them continue in their ignorance. You just imagine that you bump into Paul, and Paul realizes there's something important you don't know about the Bible. Hope you don't have a train to catch. he's, He's going, if he has to detain you, I'm pretty sure, make sure that you get this. So he starts, um, basically class begins in verse 4. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, comma, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, which he would introduce as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, that is Jesus. So that's his opener, We assume there's a lot more to do with this, but that's enough for us to work with. The baptism of repentance from John the Baptist, if you remember the flannel graph when you were a kid in Sunday school, John the Baptist was the the crazy, loud-speaking man who just did the same sermon over and over, all day, every day, multiple times, maybe multiple places. He stayed out in the wilderness. He wore, like, animal hair. What was his diet? Bugs and honey. Wild honey, too. I guess that's different than... You know, the fancy honey in jars being sold. He just dug it right out of the... Any of you ever kept bees? You don't just do that. Bears get away with it because they've got a bunch of fur on them. I wouldn't try it. Wild honey. Bad news. That's the guy. Repent. Turn around. The Messiah is coming, and you're not ready for him. Not in your heart you're not. You need a bath. And this wouldn't have been weird to them. The whole Hebrew system had to do with washing their hands before they ate. Uh, Certain ceremonial baths, especially for the the priests and Levites when they did their duties at the temple. It wasn't uncommon. It's a ritualistic bath symbolizing you need cleansed from your sins. So this is prep work. Uh, I remember one guy saying, if you can't understand who John the Baptist is, he's, he's Elijah from the Old Testament, or in modern parlance, he's Jesus Christ's hype man. You know, the guy that comes out for the concert and gets everybody excited? The hype man. Nobody knows what a hype man is? I don't have social media, and I barely watch TV, and I know this, and you don't. But that's what he did. He's knocking down the high spots and filling in the valleys, making the path easy. Jesus is coming. Repent. That was John's message. Now, when Jesus comes, he starts talking to people like Nicodemus. You need not just a bath. You need rebirth. You're dead. You need a new life. What do I do? Go back into my mother's womb? No, that's silly. The Spirit blows where it wants to. You feel it, but you don't know where it came from. That's the Holy Spirit. And it will give you that new life. And that's what you've got to have. So the difference between what John taught and what Paul is now teaching that was given to him by Jesus, to understand the difference between John's baptism and Christ's baptism, you really need to go back and do an Old Testament study. 
don't have time for all that today, but just knowing the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or even better, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That's the difference. It's, it's not nothing. It's not complicated. Um, probably the best way to describe it is if you're looking at a timeline, maybe one in the back of your Bible or something, and you've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then there's the cross right in the middle that separates the two. Same with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was, hey, I'm going to start with Abraham, whole race of people. They're going to be my people. I'm going to be their God. I'll bless them if they bless me. I'll curse them if they curse me. That goes for their enemies as well. And then this long list of things that they're supposed to do, they started with Ten Commandments. It was much more than that when they got finished. And that's how you approach God. I will meet you this way through a sacrificial system. An animal has to die for me to cover your sins, and you'll need to repent. And you won't be able to just, like, you know, throw up Hail Marys. No, you've got to watch an animal die for this to work. That's the old covenant. It was based off of works, or so it seemed. Then you get to the new covenant. It's totally different to where God's going to look down on the earth and say, maybe by now they figured out that they can't keep those Ten Commandments if that's all there was. None of them have kept it. So I'll send somebody who can, and then I'll let him pay for their sins and give them his righteousness if they trust him by faith. That's the difference between the two covenants. But if you're looking at a timeline and you zoom in really tight where the cross separates the old covenant from the new one, you would find practically in Scripture that there's a massive overlap between the two, practically speaking, as not everybody was standing on Calvary that day when he said it was finished. It would take a while for the news of that to get out. So if you've got people in Ephesus who are like old covenant believers, same as Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and John the Baptist, that's good because Hebrews tells us, as it was said in the Old Testament, That counts for righteousness. But then Paul says, that's drying up. All that old stuff and all that ignorance, God winked at, but now he demands that you understand and obey the full gospel and that Jesus paid it all and that you can't keep it if your life depended on it. That's why he came. So what we're looking at is the overlap. You got some people who haven't got the good news The good news is best articulated, I think, in one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, that's us, and these men, and Paul, and the whole Old Testament era, everybody, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, if you've read the context, to be sin, who knew no sin. The one who never sinned gets all the sins put on his shoulders, so that in him, that's in Jesus, we might become the righteousness required by God. That's the difference, and that's what these men don't know. So how do they respond when Paul's done with it? On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, here's where the trouble starts, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. Why do I say this is where the trouble or the controversy starts? Well, because some churches... Even entire denominations want to make this say more than it's saying in its simplistic form. 
and there would be those that disagreed. There would be those who are saying, no, this is the second blessing. This is when the Holy Spirit's given, you get saved, and then you get, that's the first blessing, then you get the Holy Spirit, that's the second. There is no blessing without the Holy Spirit. This has to be the first blessing. No Holy Spirit, no, no salvation. There are, there are other places in Romans where we have massive chapters with lots of details on very important doctrines. So we can't get them wrong. But with Luke, he's just summarizing how all this shook out. There's not even an attempt to explain what this means, as if it's of massive theological importance. He doesn't see that as his function. So we kind of, at least for myself, I humbly, cautiously, respectfully tread lightly on that passage, knowing that I wasn't there for that overlap, old covenant to new covenant. And then I lean real heavy on the book of Romans where Paul tells us how it all happens. So, what is the purpose of their speaking in tongues? It has to be important for something. I mean, it's not like it's just the prize at the bottom of a bag of Cracker Jacks, right? Which these days is worthless. used to be good stuff. I handed my brother the little sticker that came in the bag the other day. I was eating a bag of those in the corner on the couch to see if I could interest my dad in some sweets. <laughs> he wasn't taking it. <laughs> um, anyway, the reason why they're speaking in tongues, and the reason why with the laying on of hands things seem to change is so everyone will recognize this is authentic. It's a sign. Same as it was on the day of Pentecost. How do you convince a bunch of Jews who were saying, they're drunk? Peter says, it's early in the morning. This is prophecy. And he read them the scripture. This will happen when the comforter comes. Now, when it happened in Samaria, Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with one another. You got a perfect case for two split churches. The Jews who say, we don't understand any of that because we don't even like them. But if the same miracles accompany the same falling of the Holy Spirit, then those who are paying attention have to apply the same prophecy to those people that they applied to themselves. And then when it happens in the house of Cornelius, we're getting further from Jerusalem, right? Same thing. The signs point to its legitimacy. And now once again in Ephesus, you're almost halfway to Rome, it seems, culturally at least. Same thing. This is legitimate. God in heaven is giving them at no cost what he's given you at no cost. The cost was on him. He paid for it all. So, I think that's enough to go to verse 8. Second point, about two years of teaching reaches everyone. Now, that sounds like hyperbole, doesn't it? Especially when you read that last verse. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I think what you've got is a, is a case for an educated and excused hyperbole. And I'll use this as an illustration. Would you consider your neighborhood that you live in reached for the gospel? You should. It's not an unreached people group. I know that for a fact because you live there. Now, if they don't know the gospel, whose fault is it? Yours. 
and those that are sitting in this room that live in the same neighborhood. You're not the only Christian likely that lives in neighborhoods around here. We're all over the place. And it's not like we do like Paul, or do we? If we're like Paul and gifted like Paul, yes. Or we stand in a box like this, or we just talk over coffee tables or whatever else. But America is reached. There's way too many Christians here to say that it's unreached. Now, there are places on the planet that are unreached. Christians hadn't gotten there yet. This will come into to, to being later, but doesn't it really help the situation with these 12 men who don't have the whole story? They've been faithful with the light they were given by John. And then God dispatches Paul to find them and give them the rest of the story. Now, everybody has a little bit of light. Everybody wonders where they came from. Everybody wonders how the sun and the moon and the stars and nature can be an accident. So we've got light. You're faithful to that light. God will do something crazy like tap one of us on the shoulder and say, I want you to go be a missionary or surrender to full-time ministry, or teach kids in Sunday school, or just tell your own kids in your own house. God gets his business done, and he's the original networker, but that's what I believe is going on here. So, it was reached. How does it get done? Look in verse 8. He entered into the synagogue. That's where the Jews are. And for three months, he spoke boldly. He did that last week. That's freedom of speech, right? It might cost you but he's speaking freely because the Spirit's given him courage and utterance and all that good stuff. And then reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. I really like that description, boldly, which means no holes barred, and reasoning. He's thinking with them. All through Acts, all through the Bible, it's reasoning. We don't emote our way to salvation. Now, when these things make sense to you, they're going to get all up and in your emotions. But that's not where it starts. It's kind of difficult for us in our culture, a very emotive culture. I mean, we say things that other people are supposed to snap to attention and change their whole lifestyle as a result, but there's absolutely no argument in it at all whatsoever. You might have one of your kids come home from school. What's wrong? So-and-so is mean. Okay, well, that's how you feel, but I'm going to need a little more information. Let's have an argument here. Let's look at evidence. That might help you too. It might mean that they're just talking about something that you think is important that they think is not, and it's okay that they don't. Um, We could go on and on and on about this, but if you just pay attention to some of the things that our culture values, but with no reason for it. It's telling. I'll move on for the sake of time. But true to his long-standing pattern, Paul again returns to his post in the synagogue. He's right there in the same play. He always runs, enter town, start a riot, go to jail. The riot's next week. In his case, or this case, Paul has been there before, already knew who he was. They'd received him favorably, asked him to come back. He had to leave. Now he's back. It's three months this time. And he taught them that the Christ was Jesus. The very same thing he taught the 12 almost Christians. Same thing he taught everyone since we followed his teaching. And the same thing that Apollos was doing at the end of chapter 18. Take the scriptures, show them that Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, is your Savior. And how all that works. For three months, 
Look at verse 9. But it was going so well, wasn't it? When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, the way is, we'll get to that in a second. He withdrew from them, took his disciples with him, went to the hall of Tyrannus on a daily basis. So some were stubborn, doubled down in their unbelief. That's what we've seen everywhere he's gone. And it's, it's a good time to remind ourselves. Nobody sits under the sound of the truth of God's word, no matter who's speaking it, turning it loose. It's going to leave unchanged. There's no neutrality here. Either you're listening and you're softening, or you're listening and you're hardening. Always that way. Uh, that's why people will come to me and say, my kids grew up in church. They don't want anything to do with it. Well, they've had a long time to harden. I don't know why it works that way. It's the scariest thing that a parent can ever contemplate. But at the same time, the voice is going out. There are others softening. Even hard people that are absolutely floored when they find out that they're warming to the things of Christ. But young people, specifically, pay attention to this. Every church service you sit through thinking about other things as if it's just another habit and a waste of time ever so incrementally like calcification of your arteries that eventually turns into a heart attack you may wake up one day and do not care about anything in this book and wonder why and if you find yourself in that situation go back to John repent Start asking the Lord to change your heart. The Lord came from heaven, died on a cross to refuse you salvation? Absolutely not. That's why he came. But if you hear a busy tone, keep dialing. Keep praying. Call in anybody. Go see your pastor. Do something. You're in an awful way. If you find yourself in a place where you don't care anymore, that's bad. And all that stuff about sinning away your day of grace, you ever heard that stuff that there's so many days you can have and then you're cut off and God says, I'm done with you? God might say, I'll let you do what you want to do. And there may be something like sinning away your day of grace, but there's nothing said about it in the scriptures. And if there's such a thing, God knows about it and he hasn't told us. So what I'm saying is it's never too late, ever, to turn around to be saved. All right, where was I? Some were stubborn, doubled down. They spoke evil of the way. So Paul leaves. Last couple of weeks ago, he left and went across the street. This time, he goes down the street to the hall of Tyrannus. We have no clue who Tyrannus is. From Greek, we know that his name means tyrant. Who do you think gave him that name? His mama or his students? Mm. And we're speculating that he's a lecturer, and it's a lecture hall. Cool thing about it, some manuscripts tell us that Paul had use of this building or hall or school from 11 to 4. Culturally speaking, in that geographical region, there were actually more people in the hot months of the year awake at 1 a.m. than 1 p.m. They would sleep during that hot part, and then they'd work in the cool part, even in the night. So this gave Paul wide open use of a rented facility. But he had to do it in the time that nobody would want it. So it's work. 
I still love the fact that in the state of North Carolina, the school system will let churches rent the facility. Since last August, the Summit Church has been meeting right across the street. Uh, they've they've got to pay the piper to do that. Anything costs, right? But that it's open, that it's an option. They're making disciples in government property. We're making disciples in a sanctuary. But making disciples is what he's doing. This continued for two years. And then if you like marking your Bibles, you can circle that word so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Continued for two years. What did? Teaching. And what did the teaching result in? Everybody knows the message or has access to it. Which I think is a great verse and an indictment on our own culture because we spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions or billions perhaps, Christian circles, publications and church growth models and big, long, decade-long studies on culture and demographics and custom. How did this guy put the gospel within arm's reach of Asia? Sitting in a room with some men teaching every day. Is that the secret of uh, church growth? You know, we talked about this earlier when two people dropped dead for lying in church, and I wanted to know if that was the secret to church growth. No, that's the secret to emptying it out. This is the secret to filling it up. Teaching. It's as simple as that. And people listening and telling others. The teachers have to make teachers. When, when teachers are making more teachers, and since teachers take a long time to hatch, you start early with them. You spend a lot of time with them. And then hopefully they'll do the same. And God will see to it. Yeah, you ask a teacher why they teach. They'll probably tell you because I've made that way. I can't help it. Uh, Bible teachers, they might say, it's because I can't do anything else. And sleep at night. God will get his witness. And he'll raise up his people to do it. And if you are chosen by him, one of his children, then tag your it. There's no such thing as Christians who don't teach in some capacity, even if it's their kids or somebody else's kids. So what do we do with this? Let's wrap it up. We had two points. About 12 almost Christians are saved. That was the first seven verses. I guess the good thing to ask at this point with such a text you don't suppose we'd have any almost Christians in this room, do you? Who know just enough about the gospel to be dangerous to themselves on an eternal level. Maybe they grew up in church and they've got a little bit of moralism. But as far as this idea described in Hebrews, for the word of God is sharp and powerful, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between the division of Soul and spirits, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart, so that all is laid bare and naked before the one to whom you have to do. If you think that heaven is yours without standing naked in front of God who made you, so that he sees all those sins, and you willingly hand them all to him, and then humbly take the righteousness of his son, then you haven't gotten far enough. 
And, and really, there's a lot of mechanics to it. It's simple that a child can understand it, but you've got to understand the pieces. You can't just cherry-pick the cool stuff. That'd be a fire insurance policy with just your name at the bottom. Having not read any of the fine print, how do you know it's any good? How do you know that it works when you need it? You wouldn't. So there is some study. There must be a time where you're hungry to sit down and want to learn to where the idea of a hall of Tyrannus and a man teaching is inviting rather than, I don't have time for that. And then how were they saved? What made the difference? They understood and obeyed the full gospel. All the pieces are there. They understood it. They obeyed it. First you have to understand, then you can obey. And how could they understand and obey if there wasn't a teacher? Well, we already talked about how cool teachers are and why we need a bunch of them. These men had been faithful with the light. God sent them more. Now they had enough, and hopefully they're on their way of carrying it to others. All right, the second point. About two years of teaching reaches everyone. That's verses 8, 9, and 10. What do we say about that? Two years of teaching reaches everyone. Something as simple as a classroom, a teacher, and people to listen and take it from there. How about a loaded question? What did you learn in Sunday school this morning? Not everybody was here for Sunday school, were they? Now, you may have had a wonderful reason not to be at Sunday school. But missing Sunday school is like, I don't know, walking past free food. Now, you ever watched people and how they act around free food? <laughs> you ever been in Sunday school and seen people act that way about the lesson? I have. But that's kind of the exception. It's not normal. There's a reason why Jesus talks about the truth being your food and your drink. Because you've got to have it to live. And a Christian who doesn't care anything about the Bible or learning, I, I think you can say there's such a thing about a Christian who, in a space of time, doesn't care about his Bible or want to learn. But that's a weak Christian at that. And will never be a strong Christian without changing. So if we're going to see what Paul saw, he starts in a in a classroom from a tyrant speaking and all these people know it'll take that and it'll take time it'll take faithfulness and diligence it'll take using what gifts God gave you whether it's teaching kids your own kids somebody else's kids adults the elderly uh, chaplaincy I just go on and on and on But it's not going to happen if we don't do it. God loves you and respects you enough to let you make your own choices. He won't twist your arm. You'll probably still make heaven, but there are those rewards, right? So you do it for the reward in heaven? No, you do it because he died for you in faithfulness. You can live for him in faithfulness, right? I mean, really, which would you rather? Die faithfully or live faithfully? You'd rather him take the dying part so you can do the living part, right? That's, that's the gospel. 
Um, I think that's about enough. That, that hurts me bad enough. I mean, I'm the one who has to study, but never forget this or the day I said it. My weakness will always be studying my Bibles to make sermons less than studying my Bible to know Jesus. Because I'm busy as you are. Here lately, I'm extremely busy. And it'd be easy just to study so I'd have something to not look like an idiot in front of you. But I need to study this Bible to know this man, Jesus, as much as anyone else. And if I know this Jesus who wrote this book, then I might be able to share him with someone else. But if all I know is somebody else's sermon, it's probably not going to pass the sniff test. That's your thing, and I'm happy for you, but it doesn't scratch my itch. It's tough, isn't it? This Christianity thing. So, what do we do? We ask the Lord to make us better Every day, more like him tomorrow, less like us tomorrow, and so on and so forth. We come to church, so we hold each other accountable. And we just rinse and repeat until he calls us home. And when we get there, I'm pretty sure there's two things that we'll say. One, isn't this the most beautiful thing we've ever seen? And two, if we'd have known this, we probably would have invested more. I'm assured of that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for an hour, a space in time to consider your word and to let Luke's account of Paul, his journeys, his behavior, his bold teaching, his reasoning, his sacrifices. Lord, would you convince us of the truth of these things, not only to the point that it changes our life, but to the point where we will sacrifice part of our life to make sure that others get it too. Lord, we thank you for Wake Chapel. Thank you for a place to come and listen. But I thank you for this book and for what it means and the power that it has. Lord, I thank you for the hope of heaven. Nothing bad can happen to the child of God in this life. Death is our reward instead of our punishment. So, Lord, seal these things to our hearts and would you please give us someone to talk to and would you Lean into us such that we cannot miss the opportunity. And Lord, we'll thank you again for sustaining us, being our mighty fortress. We ask all this in your name. Amen.